the next five years after that or so, when I was teaching with that, that intention and looking for ways to do this thing differently, that's what led me to doing to starting my own college. And two years ago, I left being a professor. I've sort of collected these ideas of what I think a college really ought to be. And I'm going to go ahead and start one and see if we can do college frontwards. Then comes the part where you love learning and being a formal traditional college professor helps you reimagine what higher education can be. So you can then launch your own college. The Reach West Radio Show welcome is Michelle Jones, the founder, president, and chief academic officer at Wayfinding Academy. You're listening to Reach West Radio with your host, Kevin W. Grossman. It's time to live the effectual stretch. Michelle, thank you so much for being on Reach West Radio. Before we dive into the rest of the show, why don't you tell us a little bit more about your aspirational world of work when you were either a child or a teenager, and the, i.e. the question being, what did you want to be when you grew up? Thanks, Kevin, for this opportunity. This is pretty fun. This is a question that I, I don't often think about, and I, I probably should spend more time thinking about it and looking back on my life and how I got from there to here. Uh, The most solid answer I remember giving to that question when I was asked when I was growing up was that I wanted to be an NBA head coach. I grew up in uh, San Antonio, Texas, and I was a huge fan of the Spurs. I would listen to or watch or attend every single game they'd have in any given season. And for some reason, I got it into my mind that I wanted to be the coach of a professional basketball team. And uh, everybody said, well, that's ridiculous because, you know, women can't coach men's basketball teams and all this stuff. Like, how are you going to do that? And a couple of years after that, I lost interest in being a big sports fan. That kind of faded in from my life. But uh, it's interesting now looking at my life that I, I basically chose to do something that nobody had ever really done before. So I guess that that piece of it stuck with me all these years. Well, and we'll get to, to that and how that, apply, how that applies of, of now, of late, right? But what's, I, yeah. my, question, my question for you is that, did you, did you play then? Did you play the sport? No, not at all. Oh, okay. No, I was just a big fan. That's great. I, I, I like to always joke, I am not, I've never been a basketball fan because it's the one sport I was never very good at. And there was, when I played in, it was, I only played in like City League in fourth grade. And it was the last game of the season, and I scored my first points, one of which was like this behind, without looking behind my back, alley-oop, throw it up in the air and see what sticks shot. <laughs> and uh, that, that was it. So, but that's, that's really, really, that's fascinating that you, you wanted it's pretty to. pretty impressive. So let's, let's segue then to, to the first job that you had. Now, again, there could have been a lot of different things that maybe you had done, but what was like kind of the first official job that you got paid to do? And then tell us a little bit about what some of the early lessons were. Was it like an amazing learning experience or was it a painful train wreck? My first job was at a theme park in San Antonio. It was called Fiesta, Texas. And now I think it's called something else. I think Six Flags purchased it and added it to their collection of theme parks. But I worked uh, each section of the theme park was a different era and different time or location in the world. So they had like the German section sure. uh, and then they had the 50s section, which is where, and then they had like a Western section and I was in the 50s section. 
And so, you know, I'd have to show up every day and go to casting where you have a little locker and you put on your uniform and then you take, you know, like behind the scenes kind of cart, golf cart thing to get to where you're supposed to stay. Because once you're out in the park, you're never supposed to be seen like not in character, not in costume, right? And so I worked in one of the little shops in the 50s section. I, I don't know that it was a uh, train wreck exactly, but I think that what I learned was I don't like uh, pretending to have to be somebody I'm not. That didn't go very well for me. I would get out of character all the time. Sure. Uh, and also, I didn't like retail at all. Partly it was the concept of having to clock in and clock out at a specific time and have a break that starts at one time and ends exactly 15 minutes later. I didn't like that kind of rigidity. But I also don't remember liking just having to deal with customers in the in a way, you know, like I worked in a little gift shop and so they'd be these families, they'd come in and their kids would want different things. And then I'd have to participate in their whole family conversation about what they got to buy and didn't buy and all of that sort of stuff. And I just, I didn't have enough patience for that, I think. So I don't think it was a train wreck. I just, I do feel like I learned from that things I never wanted to do again. And for the most part after that, I avoided those types of jobs, you know, nothing in a costume. Uh, nothing that required a uh, retail type of experience for the most part after that. So that was, I guess I learned from that pretty quickly. Were you one of the, um, one of the, the eye roll people then when you worked there? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Plus I was a teenager, you know, I know, like sure. teenagers in general do that. Yeah. So, but is there anything that, that stuck with you though? I mean, besides the fact that you, you learned what you didn't like to do at the time was there anything that stuck with you that you applied later on or it was just one of those things like i don't want to work in retail anymore uh no actually nowadays and for most of my career that i've had recently the that one learning experience of try something out and you'll learn quickly what you don't like and pay attention to that i use that advice and that lesson pretty much every day now you know not for my own self but for the for the students that i talk to and the students who i help to try to find jobs or work that's meaningful for them. So that definitely stuck with me and I use it for others now. We're gonna segue closer to, to what you're doing now and talk a lot more about that, which I'm pretty excited about, fascinating story. But first, which was relates, tell, what about the, the education that you had post high school? How did that obviously inform your future career decisions? And then we'll kind of lead up to what you're doing now, but tell us a little bit about that experience. In many ways, the education that I had, it looks fairly boring, fairly standard. My life only really got interesting in the realm of education in the past decade or so. I went to pretty traditional four-year liberal arts college, and I, I started out as I thought I wanted to be a political science major, and then I quickly changed my mind about that and then decided I wanted to be uh, like an American studies type major, quickly changed my mind about that. And then I think the third major that I settled on was business, which I then stuck with and added a second major in psychology in about my junior year because I just found myself taking a lot of psych classes as my elective classes and uh, really liking that. And I thought of switching to majors yet again, but I had an advisor who suggested that I consider sticking with them both. And so the only remarkable thing I'd say about my undergraduate experience in college is that I met an advisor at that time in my junior year who helped me to figure out 
what the things I was naturally being drawn to, what I could try to do with those in terms of a career. Like I was naturally drawn to some of the business classes, but not most of them. I just the ones that dealt with people and the way people behaved and why they behaved that way, which are the things this this advisor of mine, he, the classes that he taught. And then I was naturally drawn to the psychology classes of a similar nature, the ones about social psychology and personality, understanding people's behavior. And I had no idea what to do with that. And I sat down with him one day and said, got any ideas? And he was like, oh, yeah, of course. There's this whole field out there called organizational behavior. Mm-hmm. It sounds like that's basically what you're interested in. And had, had it not been for him, I would never have known that. I don't think I would have stumbled across that. I don't think anybody would have just offered that information to me. So that relationship with that advisor, Don Van Endy, he and I are still in touch now, you know, decades later, actually. And that one conversation changed the trajectory of my future because right after that, he encouraged me to apply for a consulting job, which is part one of your options in the field of organizational behavior. But he also encouraged me to keep my options open and apply for a grad program. And so I applied for a graduate program in New York, and I also applied for one in California and ended up getting into all three of those options, both graduate programs plus the job. And so that that sort of led me into this realization that another piece of advice I use for students right now is if you have multiple options, try your best to like try to figure, like pretend like you've made your choice and see how that feels because usually your gut will tell you what's the thing and then what's the right direction to go. And the first time I remembered using that myself was then in that situation. And my gut very clearly told me I should go to California and do that particular program. Uh, So that's what I did. So I went straight from undergraduate college to grad school and straight into, actually straight into a PhD program. And I finished that program 10, four years later and sort of launched my career right, right after that. So my path for those first few years looks very, very, very linear and very boring and very much like, oh, she knew exactly what she wanted to do, which wasn't exactly true. But I just sort of followed the steps that people set out for me. So it wasn't until later that I really started changing that up a bit. Well, that's, you know, wow, I got a lot of dots that I can, I'm connecting right now. Sometimes it, it actually works in my head, connecting. Yeah. But what's fascinating to me is that there's a couple of things that you hit on. Listening yesterday, just yesterday, to TED Radio Hour, NPR podcast. That's one of the ones that my wife and I just love and eat like candy. Um, and this, yeah, me too. This, me too. This particular one was about decision making and making choices, and how it's very, it's a very complicated thing. It's and we as humans overcomplicate it a lot of the time when it comes mm-hmm. to making decisions. But there, at the beginning of the podcast, there was a, a little bit with between the host and Malcolm Gladwell about his whole. He was talking about how you know what I just think that we people put too, too much stock in in what college they should go to and what they should study and. He said, one of the things that, one of the biggest impacts for me in going to the four-year undergraduate university was this one individual that I met and became best friends with and, and really helped kind of set me on my trajectory later on in, you know, early on in my career. And I think a lot of us have those. I mean, I, I had that with um, working for the university that I went to at the same time with some things that kind of flung me in a direction that, you know, I never would have known then. But now looking back, I'm like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you and the advisor that you had, 
so I think I don't know. To me, it's it's. I think those those are the things that are the that are the most valuable that come out of that time for those that can go. Even you know whether it's a two four year or, or um, even a vocational school. Sorry, even a vocational school today of of being able to to have a choice, which unfortunately not everybody does have. But that's another podcast for another time that we could go down to. But I, anyway, I just that's just that's fascinating to me because I think all these things really they do really interconnect for us. Now, so now let's talk specifically. You've told us this journey that you've taken and you know, we had some fun with early on in, in your life and career, but so, and you've become this organization, organizational psychologist. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I want to launch my own university, my own different academic institution. What, what is that about? How does that happen? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't very sudden in that particular case. I, uh, when I, as soon as I got my master's degree, uh, I thought I thought I wanted to be a teacher. That's the thing I went into graduate school thinking I wanted to do. And all of the advice that I got there was, no, no, you probably don't. You know, if that's what you think you want to do when you get here, you'll change your mind while you're in this program. So try all the other things. So I, I did try out all the other things like being a consultant and being a researcher and doing all that. But as soon as I got my master's degree, uh, I got a job teaching a night class at a local community college. And I was in my early 20s. And the average age of my students was in their mid to late 40s. And I quickly learned that, that I I could only bring one piece of information to this conversation, which is like what the theory says that you're supposed to do when you're managing other people. And they had all of the actual managing other people experience. And so the only way we were going to succeed together was to say, okay, I'm going to bring this to the conversation and you're going to bring that. And then we're going to talk about this, figure out what actually works and what we can actually learn. And that went really well. And I loved teaching from the moment. I probably wasn't very good at it the first time I did it like we are with most things we do for the first time. Um, but I loved it and I kept at it. And so that was, um, that was 17 years ago that I taught my first class. Yeah. And it took me probably five, six, seven years before I really started realizing, and I kept teaching from that point on, that's what I did, either full-time or part-time. Most, mostly after I finished graduate school, I was doing it full-time. And I moved around the country, teaching at different places. I had moved originally from Texas to California, didn't, knew that I didn't want to live in either of those places permanently. So then I moved to the East Coast and tried, gave that a try for five years. And it was while I was over there on the East Coast that I realized this, being a professor is not um, exactly what I thought it was going to be. Um, I really loved being in the classroom, working with students, helping them figure out what they wanted to do with their lives, find their passion, find their purpose. But most of what you do as a professor is uh, what I now call uh, sorting. So you're mostly just supposed to be, you know, grading people and deciding who gets to pass and who sure. doesn't and who gets to be a major and who doesn't. And, and that to me felt like that was not really what the, what the core of this profession should be that it should be more about cultivating human beings that could be successful in there and, and add value to the world. And that's mostly not what the job was. So I started, a colleague and I decided we wanted to have just a quick little intensive seminar on what if 
college was different, you know, and we called it, we don't need no education is the actual official name of the <laughs> seminar that we taught. And we met, you know, every Wednesday night for a, for a semester and we'd go out to dinner. Uh, it was us and like eight students. And we'd talk about if we could make a different kind of college, what would it look like? And we had all kinds of crazy ideas from chocolate fondue fountains to like letting students create their own curriculum to having no grades, you know, all sorts of things. That, that first part, Michelle, is starting to sound like, yeah. a, like a startup, uh, a high-tech startup in, in, in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Chocolate fountain. And by the way, are you, were you both Pink Floyd fans? He was, I wasn't, I, it's, I'm too young, I guess. I don't well, know, he wasn't. Know, so. Well, that's why, I'm, but you know, it's just because when you yeah. say you don't need no education, that's my reference yeah. point. So that just aged me. That's where so it came from. All right. Yeah, no, that's where it came from. Uh-huh. Uh, so good, good spotting on that one, yeah. It, it was right around that time, though. I started, those eight students that were in that seminar had some really deep feelings about education. And they were all in a really, you know, expensive private liberal arts college that's not easy to get into and they were pretty angry that that's where their path had led them and that they were not for all of the many 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 hundreds of thousands of dollars that they or their parents or their grandparents were paying for this experience they were not getting they were not answering what they thought were the important questions of what do i want to do with my life and it was right around then that i really started being able to hear and listen to students who were telling me that all of the time. So it took me a while. Uh, I left that role, took myself on a one-year sabbatical, basically. I went to Santa Fe for a year, uh, worked in a food co-op for that year, taught a little bit part-time at night, um, but really wanted to pause and think to myself, what do I want to do with my life? And if I realized that the profession that I'd set myself up to do for all this time is not actually what I thought it was going to be. How do I course correct? And so after that year, when I went back into teaching after that in in the Pacific Northwest, I knew that what I was going to do from that point on would be different. I didn't quite know how yet, but I knew that I would never teach the same way again and that I would dedicate myself to trying to figure out how to improve the higher education experience. So that, I think, is the the next five years after that or so when I was teaching with that, that intention and looking for ways to do this thing differently, that's what led me to doing, to starting my own college. And two years ago, I left being a professor. I've sort of collected these ideas of what I think a college really ought to be. And I'm going to go ahead and start one and see if we can do college frontward, you know, starting with the question of what do you want to do with your life and then building around from that. Two years ago, I started my own college, which was, is pretty crazy. And you did that. So Wayfinding Academy, is, th- is, this, a, is this a virtual institution it is is it on site is it is it accredited i mean tell us a little just a little bit more about the academy now it is an in-person on-site uh two-year nonprofit college in portland oregon okay. so i'm having this conversation with you sitting in my office looking out the front window of the building and i can hear through the door through my office door uh into the classroom on the other side where i don't know half a dozen or so of our students who are in our inaugural cohort are working on team projects and laughing and joking with each other. So it's all in person, all in one building. And we're halfway, I guess two thirds of the way now through our first year with students. So I started this two years ago. We've been building all the model, uh, going through the state approval process, which is um, one level of accreditation. It turns out that there are two levels of accreditation for 
colleges and universities. Most people do not know this stuff because new colleges don't just start. Like that is not a thing that happens. And so, well, that's I, why I'm that's why I'm times, asking. That's why yeah, I'm asking. Exactly. I'm, no. And so the first step is to get the approval from your state. And so we got that about a year ago. We got approval before our students started. We got approval from the Oregon Higher Education Coordinating Commission, mm-hmm. and they're the ones that say yes, you're an official college. Yes, you can grant associate's degrees. Yes, we've vetted your curriculum. We've done all of that, and then. We, you have to operate for one year with students, which is what we're doing right now, before applying for regional accreditation. And that one's the one, it's basically the same as the state, except for that one, you get peer institutions visit you and check out what you're doing. And then you also get access to federal financial aid funding after that. So we're in that stage right now. And most of the students who are here, so we have 15 students in our inaugural cohort, um, most of them are fine with the fact that they're getting an associate's degree at the end of this two-year program, but they mostly don't care. They mostly are here because they want to have some help and some support figuring out what they want to do with their life that will matter. And so they they take this half of their experience as this core curriculum that they all take together as a group of 15. And then the other half is handcrafted for each of them. So they have a guide, like an advisor, like you and I have talked about. We had advisors that we met in college. So we have those here, except that they meet with them every week for 45 minutes individually, and they meet with the whole advising team as a group once a week for an hour and a half. And so they're constantly talking about what's your next step after wayfinding? How do you get from here to there? What internships should you take that will help you get there? Uh, They build a portfolio where they can show the world, like, here's who I am, here's what I can do. They create websites, they start blogs, they make films, they do all sorts of things. Uh, They don't have grades, they don't have tests, they don't have textbooks. So what, even though I get, I understand the model and I I, I get the fact that you're helping them to to become a more productive member of of society and community and, 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 and some, again, figuring out what they really want to do with their lives. What is the associate degree that I'm going to get? from your organization? It's the only one that exists in the country, which we're kind of proud of and it's fun. Uh, The associate's degree is in self and society. And that comes out of the fact that half of our curriculum is about self and understanding who you are. uh, And the other half is understanding society and what the world needs. And we're always looking for that connection between what, you know, who you are and what you care about and what the world needs. So listen, I can tell you right now, Michelle, we need a lot more of that right now. So thank I you. agree. Th- thank Things you. Things have changed a lot since I started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're thanks. trying to keep up. For someone considering a similar move, maybe not literally the same thing you're doing, but again, <laughs> well, no, I mean, no, no. I I think it's anything that's related to that. I mean, this was this is this is a big. This is like even if it felt like the right trajectory, this is a definitely a step outside of, of most people's comfort zones, right? Oh, because, yeah. Because you're yeah. developing something that does not, does not exist, and like, not at least in this right. Yeah, I think you, you kind of nailed it when you said life take, does take a community, and you reached out to yours, yeah. your family, your friends, your, your peers, your close, you know, other individuals, and said, this is what I want to do. Do you want to be a part of this? Is there another recommendation besides that when other people that are thinking about doing something bold like this? The two other pieces of advice that I would give, and I, and I, don't, I don't know that anybody gave me these pieces of advice explicitly when I started and I kind of wish they had or maybe not maybe I had to learn it by doing but one is the really cliche now but I'm glad that it's cliche because it 
it actually seems to matter. Um, Simon Sinek's uh, Know Your Why, the power of why talk that he gave at TEDx Puget Sound in, I think it was 2009, um, where he says, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. Mm-hmm. And every day I talk to somebody about wayfinding, whether it's a prospective student or a potential faculty member or anybody I talk to, it always, the conversation always starts with why. What, mm-hmm. what did I think was wrong with higher education? Why did I want to start an alternative model of higher education? Why am I doing this? And part of it is to help explain what I'm doing, but part of it is that that's what keeps you going. It, it's really hard to do something that's never been done before. Uh, it, take, it, it has taken over my entire life. I don't really have much of a life that's non-wayfinding anymore, and I'm happy about that, thrilled about that. It's my life's work. But if I didn't know why I was doing it, I would not be able to keep up with this. Oh, of course you, know, you would lose... The passion. And then the other thing, which is, I think, really connected to that, is to to understand that it's not inevitable. If I stop working hard at this, if I stop, and my whole team at this point, if any of us just stops waking up early every morning and really doing whatever it takes to make this thing succeed and to be there for the students, but also to do all of the other back-end stuff the students never see, then it won't exist. And so I, I think that sometimes I, friends I know who have started things assume, well, it's inevitable. If I start the thing, it'll just go. And I don't think that that's always the case. Both knowing your why and understanding that it's not inevitable seems like, in retrospect, important things I've learned along the way. That's awesome. Listen, Michelle, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I'm so glad that um, you took the time to have it with me. And I appreciate you again being on Reach West Radio. And I look forward to hopefully meeting you in person someday. That'd be fantastic. Yes. Thank you, Kevin. I'd love that. Reach wise, reach well, reach west, and live the effectual stretch. We'll feel you next time on Reach West Radio. Hey, Bryce, what would you like to be when you grow up? Um, a marine biologist. Beatrice, what would you like to be when you grow up? A firefighter. Why do you want to be a marine biologist? Because I like ocean animals and I think they're sweet. (laughs) And Beatrice, why do you want to be a firefighter? So I can help people in fires. Awesome. Say, I love Reach West Radio. I love Reach West Radio. (laughs) (laughs) One more time. I love Reach West Radio. (laughs) 